I got blood in my eyes for you. Oh man, I've got uh, I got a little Bob Dylan with me all the time. Just like a little six-inch Bob Dylan on your shoulder. Yeah, that's yeah, that's who you are. <laughs> I'm your I'm your uh, patron power. <laughs> Do you think that Roman's acid fingers could wear away the metal on a metal comic? What an interesting question. I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that as if it's a uh, a listener question today. I'm John Bon Oliver, and I want to talk to you guys about gun control, gun safety. Guns in the wrong hands can hurt a bear, and that's really bad. Don't hurt bears with guns or knives. I'm here. To, hi, I'm John Bon Oliver, and I'm here to talk to you about knife safety. Nine, knives are bad. John Bon Oliver, over and out. Signing out. What about bear mace, John? <laughs> I'm John Bon Oliver, and I'm here to talk about bear mace safety. Or bear masty is what we call it. podcast episode 189 where my bangs look good yeah they do they look uh beebery yeah but good good beaver not not like creepy beaver man how are people going to talk about justin bieber in the future okay wait it already is the future no one cares about him um (laughs) it's a comic book show where we talk about justin bieber and bangs and the new books of that week whenever they come out from wherever you get them from none of it ever makes sense anymore dc books come out certain days that's great um other books come out other days but we still talk about them on mostly the same day and get a podcast out mostly on the same day in the comic shop that we know and love and care about and the podcast is you know Django and jeff primarily a lot of times roman some other folks engaging a variety of tangents either related to or unrelated to the comic books that we read the shop that we work at or the comings and goings of our lives i'm jeff and did i already do the bangs thing you did you did okay okay um I'm Django, and uh, thanks for joining us on WHK, Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) Chicago! Chicago! (laughs) (laughs) Call back to recording in the basement of the store. Django, we're going to be talking about some books this week, and I only have half of them in front of me, so when I mess up the order, will you correct me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll flash you the ones that I have, and, and when you say it, I'll move it. This is, this is a little, like, I don't know if this is parting too much of the kimono or if that's even, is it even possible to part too much of the podcast kimono? This kimono Uh, is Call us at WHK and let us know. Chicago. Uh, We're going to talk about Seven Secrets, number one. The Goddamned Virgin Brides, number two. Big Girls, number one. Marauders, number 11. Adventure Man, number three. Dark Knights, Death Metal, Metal. number three, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, Octobriana, 1976, number one and only. And whatever else has, we're going to get some questions from the online internet sphere. Before we get into any of that, I got to put Django on the spot here. Listen, I was born on the spot, I man. know. I love that about me. Sorry, I didn't mean, to, man. Didn't mean um, to call you the name of your cat. Yeah, well, technically his name is Rocky. Um Let's talk about what has been incredibly inappropriately referred to as the DC bloodbath. Yeah. You want to Do you think it was inappropriate? 
I don't know that it's inappropriate. I think that it's dumb. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not I a fan of that term. It's, uh, it, it, you know, reactionary. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's a reference to like the 1970s or 1960s where where there was a DC bloodbath and they cut like 40% of their staff yeah. and et cetera, It's a little inflammatory at a time where people are already up in arms, but that's what they're yeah. calling this moment in time at DC. Do you want to give the folks who don't know anything about it a little bit of idea of what it was that happened last Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, so DC used to be owned by Warner Brothers and then AT&T bought, bought Warner Brothers. And in the last few months, DC has been pulling some strange moves in the direct market, which is comic stores. And uh, just last Monday, in the middle of, I guess at the tail end of a whole bunch of AT&T layoffs, um, DC lost, I don't even know how many, but I, I, it was, it, DC lost a lot of upper staff members and editorial people. Um, it seems like a lot of the ground level people, the people that we hang out and talk with are safe. There was one casualty, Vince, who we really liked. Sounds like he's maybe gone, but uh, just, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like big corporate moves um, at the expense of the art that we love. Um, and, you know, of course it remains to be seen how bad or how good this will be for the industry but a lot of the the um, guesses point towards probably dc moving towards a more digital first fewer comics being published i think that um, jim lee actually literally just said that uh, he was going to cut the bottom 20 percent of titles that's interesting. They've already announced things like Hawkman being canceled, Harley Quinn, mm -hmm. Catwoman, I believe, a number of other books. Um, yeah. And I think that's the most immediate ramification that we're seeing is that we're, there are books that people like that are going to be canceled. Strangely, I've heard a lot in the last two weeks about Hawkman, the book, mm -hmm. right as it's being canceled. The DC thing is tricky because... You know, well, we never like a reminder that these characters and these stories that we like so much are at this point just part of a big corporation. Right. And uh, when when we get a story that we really enjoy or a bit of art that we really think is is top notch from any of the top top few publishers, a lot of times it's it's luck. Like it it beat the odds at the weird um, let's make the shareholders money convention. I, I don't think that anybody at DC is the villain in this. I think that uh, just it's kind all of... all AT&T, so switch to Verizon, motherfuckers. Yeah. But I think kind of what you're saying, though, about just like we don't love to be reminded that our characters and these pieces of art that we love are, are sort of connected to these monolithics, the seven companies that own everything. But even more than that, I think what's a bummer to be reminded of is that these things that we love and that we've done you know almost 200 podcasts about and spend mm -hmm. our whole lives running a business about don't make a, a drop in the bucket for these companies no. that like the movies <laughs> that these stories are based off of make and that's that's kind of the only thing that is kind of disheartening about this whole dc quote-unquote bloodbath is is the idea that wow, are we going to see fewer comics because it's just like our, our industry makes so little money compared to like a film or something mm -hmm. that it really, it just <clears throat> reminds you of the fragility of this industry. Well, at the same time, I don't ever think there's going to not be new Batman comics coming out. I think that's an internal right. thing that will always be happening. But 
you know, the, the cold business folks probably have a hard time remembering that like, this is an institution that will go on and has always gone on, but they're just trying to workshop it on how to make it more financially viable. And that's kind of a bummer. Well, friend of the shop, Ron Warner, Fots, um, referred to um, the money that comics make. He, He mentioned to me one day that the total gross of all comic book sales is similar to the amount of like money that AT&T will write off as a rounding error on their books at the end of the year. So it is a little bit disheartening to have them trim the fat in something that matters in the long run. So little to them. Right. Um, you know, there there's, I get it. You, you, you can't throw money away. And I don't think that comics are the most efficient way that they can make dough, but um, kind of a bummer to, to see it happen. Absolutely. Above all that, it's just really warm right now. And mm-hmm. my hands are clammy and my feet are clammy and it's just warm everywhere in the world. You know, today I woke up, I put on some brown shorts. I don't wear shorts very often, but I no. put on my brown shorts and I put on this striped shirt that you see me wearing that has With bees, bees on, on it. it. Yeah, I, I like that shirt a lot. And then the first two things that I did in the day was deal with um, shit exploding all over my basement from a from a hole in the ground and uh, and bees stinging me i've got two brand new bee stings on my legs and uh i'm just glad that i'm not wearing the uh you know like the marvel comics quits publishing comics underwear that i had on deck for tomorrow i was gonna say i'm just glad you're not wearing a lot of red yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you covered in blood today, buddy. <laughs> well, my head exploded. Huh. Oh, wait, your your poop your poop basement exploded? My poop basement exploded uh, about a year after the first time the poop basement exploded. Oh. And uh my you landlord took care of it. Blood room for that long, eh? Yeah, my landlord took care of it, but uh then we made the mistake of flushing the toilet after he left and uh, I'm just glad they're coming back tomorrow. Good. Good. Yeah. Let's talk about Seven Secrets Number One by Django's favorite up-and-coming writer, Tom Taylor, with art by. Sorry. Oh, I, I was... thought that was like a clap it because we need to take something uh, out. Nope. I was I was killing one of the ten thousand little fruit flies in front of me right now. Have you done the thing where you put some apple cider vinegar and sugar together in a cup with saran wrap on it and have holes in it? I wish that people had the video of you dodging fruit flies oh that God. I'm seeing. It, you know, oh, fuck, I'm wearing my fruit fly socks. Yeah, that's the problem, bud. <laughs> Art by Danielle Di Nicuolo. Um, Seven Secrets by Boom Studios. Tom Taylor. I was really, really excited for this book. Tom Taylor writes Deceased. He wrote Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man for a spell. He um, wrote Injustice. Injustice. And- Digital first, by the way, speaking of DC. Yeah, I guess that was even, you know, five years ago when that series started. I think it was a digital first. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and, you know, I'd have to remember what else he's done outside of those big things. Not, not a super ton. Like those, those, I think, are his biggest, his biggest books. But we have Seven Secrets now. It's the first, like, big creator-owned book in my memory. He has done, he has done another. We talked about it, but I can't remember what it is right now. Uh, it's been a long, sweaty day with just salads in both of our bellies. So I was very excited about this. I was very excited about this, Django. And I still walked away from this book very excited about it. I actually read it with uh, my girlfriend, Sam. And we read it silently at the same time. While, and you just you create some sort of code for when one person is ready to turn the page and the other person turns the page. Is it this? <clears throat> no, it's more like... Meow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And (laughs) that was a really fun way to engage in this story, which is, again, I have talked at length about comic books that strike a sort of national treasure itch. And Mm -hmm. this book scratches a sort of Illuminati national treasure itch. And that, that is a lot of fun. I, I approached it. I I see the, the main character actually on the cover I'm looking at, and he has the like, the Mason Lodge tattooed symbol on his arm. For oh yeah. yeah, but the Masonic Lodge. But yeah, it's it's. This is the first book I read. I was really excited about. It. So it's been a couple of days since I read it. It is mostly a story that takes place at kind of multiple points in time, but it centers around this couple who works for an agency whose whole job is to be protecting these seven secrets, and we don't know what these seven secrets are but it immediately sets right off the bat this idea that there's a lot of secret and conspiracy in the world. And this couple, you know, they're out there national treasure and up solving crime, protecting things. There seems to be seven secrets. There's people that are in charge of protecting these secrets and they are in charge of protecting one of these secrets. Ultimately we take a time jump and we learn that the two of them have gotten pregnant and have a child that's coming and they're either going to get killed or they opt to like keep their job they can, yeah, they can, they can either give up the baby or right. keep their job. And they decide to keep their job because this whole institution is sort of people who genuinely believe in what they're doing, not unlike a comic shop. And <laughs> we've, we've all given up a baby or two to keep working at the comic yeah, shop. Yeah, we can't keep secrets for shit, though. We keep no. parting, parting the seven kimonos. Just parting the seventh kimono layer. <laughs> um, and that was the big, the big sort of parts in this one, except for the, the spoilers the very cool, big, gruff Django, like the hairy Django daddy figure. Oh, don't say daddy. He is the dad in this. Oh, the dad, the Django yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exactly. a different, that's a different guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, okay. he he gets killed at the end. So we've sort of we're, uh, some of this narrative is coming from the child who's grown up. So we know that this issue is a, a flashback. So it's got you know, it's basically national treasure with some very serious pulling of the heartstrings in which Tom Taylor is, is want to do and is very good at. And all of that really, really hit for me. If maybe being a little familiar in general, but it's a type of familiar and a type of thing that I really like. I love conspiracy, national treasury stories. I never would have picked this comic up if it didn't have Tom Taylor's name on the cover. Um, because I'm accidentally on record as loving pretty much every single thing I read from this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the art style doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not bad, but it that's just a, doesn't, call, it doesn't call to me. It's, it's very manga. Exactly. Very inspired. Full metal alchemist. In fact, the main Django daddy, Django Harry daddy character is very um, Edward Elric, if you okay. are familiar with the uh, Elric brothers at all. I'm just going to have to believe you on that, because the only sure Elric know. I know is Michael Moorcox Elric. Nice. That's for Roman. Um, so, I, like, I, I wouldn't have read this on my own. Tom Taylor tricked me into it. And, of course, it's a wonderful story that hits every beat that I want it to hit. Um, you can tell that I'm... Um, almost old enough to be your daddy because it's my hairy uh, daddy your hairy daddy because i would say indiana jones where you say national tree sure exactly um but uh just the the setup is pretty good it's it's nothing super special it makes me think of comics and stories that 
don't interest me at all. Yeah. Uh, like, like huge secret societies don't interest me. I want to be the person, I want to follow the people finding the secret societies and the fall, like the social fallout of those secret societies and the political machinations of, of what happens when you remove those secret societies. But this the machinations is machinations. Machinations. You know what I mean? This is mach- machinations and the treasures and the, um, but the, the kids stuff is good. The mysteries are good. And you can't even call them mysteries in this. They're secrets. They're secrets. And there's they're seven secrets. of them. And he's like, he's just, he's just a good writer who knows how to get, he, he knows like, what is, what is the thing at the end of Kill Bill where she uses like the, the special punch mm-hmm. that kills the dude after he takes the steps, seven mm-hmm. steps. And then the guy dies. David That's Curry. what Tom Taylor does. Like he, he, he sets you up real quick and then you start having real grown-up feelings before the end of a 20-page like action comic. He does it every goddamn time. Yeah, he is phenomenal at it. I, I just like you just said, like I, I think the art is not remarkable. And I do not mm-hmm. think the story is remarkable outside of just being very good. It's a storytelling it, is really good. Though. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like it's not incredible new conceits or brand new art styles but they're just done really, really well. And I will mm-hmm. absolutely keep reading it because I really, really like this writer. Yeah. And I like sort of being on board for the inevitability of him having a huge, massive nosedive and I get to make fun of Django for it. <laughs> so I'm just sort of on the Tom Taylor train waiting for him to just massively fail. And so I can point at Django and say, your basement's full of poop. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I would say this was probably my number two favorite book this week, if oh, you know what I mean. Oh, oh, it's a poop joke. It's always a poop joke. <laughs> um, I would I would say that it's my number eight favorite. Sorry, uh, I would give this book an 8.5. I think it's a really, really good book. It, it's, I don't know, it's, it's weirdly, it's as high of a score as you can get without having something remarkable about it. You know, right. like the art doesn't tip it over an edge and the, the, you know, the plot doesn't tip it. It's nothing brand new and huge and challenging, but it's really good. So it's the highest you can get as a sub kind of what a comic or story is for me yeah i would give it a seven and a half um he's written books that affect me a whole lot more um but this is this is super solid and you're right it is kind of like it is kind of like watching roy orbison sing where like you you hear him sing and you're like holy shit this guy is an amazing singer but then you watch him sing and he's he's doing it effortlessly and that almost detracts from it where Tom Taylor is writing this book that has no right. Like I, there's no reason that I should like this book as much as I do. And he just kind of does it effortlessly. It seems like, and uh, I don't know. Uh, That's, that's all I got. Did you give it a number? Seven and a half. Okay. Seven secrets, seven, half. I, and yeah, 8.5 for me. Cause uh, you know, all the reasons I said, but Django, I'm very excited to talk to you about a franchise that hasn't been around for quite a while, a number of years, by two creators we love, the co-creators of Scalped, and Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra, and they did a book called The Goddamned a number of years ago, and it was very good, in a dirty, sort of sacrilegious retelling of a Bible story. Yep. And I have not read any of the second one yet, The Virgin Brides, which we've been waiting for for a long time. 
what's it about? Do you even like? Is it overtly, clearly a, a biblical, like reference to a biblical story? Like, well, listen, ones? I haven't read enough of the Bible. I got, oh. I got lost in the begats Fooled and me. never really finished. I, I was really looking forward to the Satan stuff, but I it, like after like forty-two pages of begats, so and so begat, so and so begat, so and so, I I tapped out. Um, but I believe that it's absolutely set in biblical times, and there are there are some biblical things happening it basically follows um, a couple of young girls who live with these sisters who are um, like the, these these nuns and the girls are kind of their their workers and you know harvesting the food and doing doing all their grunt work and when the girls have their period they're sent up the mountain to this other tribe to get married to an angel. And what that really means is something involving falling off of a cliff and maybe Whoa. being raped by an angel. Whoa. So it's uh, not a happy story. And one of these girls has figured out how to, um, like she, she's been super worried about having her period and doesn't want to, like she saw what happened to one of the girls that went up the cliff. And uh, so she and her friend, in this issue hoodwink the nuns and escape and the chase is on and they you know they're they're pursued by some by a battalion and and they kill a bunch of them and run away and the the whole thing is the the first story was like super manly man gross um, yeah it was was Cain and Abel but it was it was also shit and mud and it was you know pigs and blood and it was um punching and fucking and like it was it was all of this like super macho stuff and this one is kind of taking the opposite tack from the super macho scene that that first series was it's it's good and it's uncomfortable and um these girls are total badasses uh yeah i i love the bible as a dude who's not overtly religious at all but i just think it's like such an interesting story machine did you skip the begats um no man i was raised in church so i read the begats jesus Uh, i read the begats i (laughs) i read the stuff (laughs) after the begats i read you know the the begats i read the old stuff i read the new stuff um i like i liked all of it um more looking back on it than i did back then but you know it's such an interesting story thing and i think what was interesting about the god damned was sort of learning that it was the story of the first murder and cain and abel and Mm -hmm. i want to know if this is overtly referencing a biblical story or if it's just a story taking place in biblical times, but I, I'm excited to learn. I feel like it's been years since the first volume of the Goddamn came out, but I feel like the Cain and Abel reveal sort of happened later on in it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was presented as a biblical story and we didn't really know. Well, I think the maybe by the end of the first issue, we knew that the guy's name was... Cain, I think. Yeah, maybe that was revealed in the first I don't, issue. I don't something. quite remember, but it, yeah, it was not advertised like that, and it has been a really long time. I'm surprised that they went back to it, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, this artist, you know, may, maybe has been working on these issues for years. I have no idea. I think he's kind of a slow artist, but the, oh, it makes me really want to read Scalped again now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. One of the best um, series of all time. I would, I would give this one um, hmm. I'd give this one a also a seven and a half. Nice. It's really good. It's not a fun read. It's it's like 
just like the first one, when, when you're reading it, you're like, God, this is gross. And like, I can smell the scenes in this comic and like, it's, it's effective in that way, but it's not, it's not super enjoyable. It's uncomfortable and, and makes you feel a little bit ooky the whole time, which gives it extra points. But uh, I'm, I'm going to hold the, the 9.5 until I finish the series. I think. Dude, I watched two towers extended edition like yesterday and i watched the first half of return of the king today <laughs> you're not watching them all in one sitting you coward it's in a lot of hours yeah yeah <laughs> i've got 20 hours to give to the three extended editions of lord of the Rings. those books are, those those books i think are probably really good i haven't read them but those movies are amazing do you like those movies have you watched those i haven't watched them since they came out i don't think uh, i remember a lot of walking and uh, a lot of characters yeah we're here for one reason and one reason only and i've tried this four times now and whk uh, and uh, chicago we're here to talk about big girls <laughs> number one by Image jason Comics, howard jason howard art and story by jason howard written and drawn by we are downloading into a person's head with this book everything is just coming right off out of them onto the page and for us to in- inherit into our own creative space yeah um, which I love, I love when it's a single, you know, a person does the art and the story. That, that's awesome. I was not, like, I, I didn't know what the hell was going to happen with this book because it's titled Big Girls. And I was not super excited about that title. Like, what does it mean? Um, how is that a thing that anyone thinks is an okay name for a comic? Yeah. And yet, the book was good. I thought it was great. I thought it was very good. I thought it was very good. Um, so Jason Howard did Injection, is that right? Oh. No, 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 he did Trees. He drew Trees. Okay. Right, which which had really interesting, cool art. I never read it. It was it was good, and uh, I, I haven't read the uh, second series that came, came out or started coming out, but I really enjoyed the first one more than I expected to. Um, yeah, it, this, this was really interesting, following like you said, a story that's just downloaded from one person's head. The only other person credited on here is the letterer. Um, and I don't want to diminish a letterer, but uh, this story is Jason Howard doing Jason Howard's idea. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I, I like his art. Mm-hmm. I wish, and not even wish, I like the art. It's very proficient. It's just great cartooning. If it, you know, I think it could be leveled up for Jeff's subjective art enjoyment by being just a touch more refined. It's like messy and I don't mind the messiness of it, but did he also do the art in that like cemetery, Warren Ellis cemetery book? Out of oh, a prison cemetery on- beach. Cemetery yeah, I think beach. He, yeah, he did. He absolutely okay. did. And so that, that art, was awesome too. Yeah. This art is great. Like that's very kinetic and has a lot of motion is very sketchy. I think the only thing I don't love is actually like, the way that the characters, he just draws characters, which is sort of like flat faces and big pronounced jaws, kind of mm-hmm. like something you would have seen in like 90s Cartoon Network cartoons, like Dexter's Lab or something, like very angular, yeah. blocky faces. But in terms of the atmosphere and the environment, and particularly like the buildings and the environment are, are really phenomenal. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of round in this world. No. Um, but that that's that's fine with me. I, I think that the, like the action is conveyed really well. The, the most interesting part of the book for me was that the scale is com- is is conveyed really well like it's about a world where 
there's a chance that your child will be born with a thing that's wrong with them. And from what I'm guessing based on the title and the, the story so far, if it's a little boy that has this, he's going to be giant and he's going to turn into a monster. And if it's a little girl that has this disease, they're going to be giant and they're going to turn into a giant girl. You're just so a like giant a, version of who they would be. Yeah, like, like 20 stories tall yeah person so that's and, what the uh, title is about yeah and and i i thought that was really cool i didn't i didn't put that together until the page turn reveal where we have this super super tall woman spying on somebody from like two blocks away but she's as tall as a skyscraper and just watching this dude that her handler who's a regular sized guy is trying to track down um and the reason he's trying to track the guy down is because they suspect this guy has uh, a giant kid. And it turns out that he does. He's been buying groceries all over town. Like a to bunch hide of different stores. He, yeah. yeah the, hide the fact that he needs more groceries than a normal sized person could ever eat. And uh, he's got this toddler who is, you know, taking up the entire room when he's sitting there and, and, Man, there's that a brutal it, death scene there. That's where it got interesting. So spoilers for this one. Big Girls, did I think it was amazing? No, I thought it was quite good. Um, we're going to spoil it, I, but I do think it's an interesting science fiction world that's really well conceptualized. So if that's the thing that's interesting to you, you should check it out. But I mean, like page two or three, we get this guy is walking with his groceries, but we get a very telling bit of environmental information, which is a wall has a sign that says, register your pregnancy, help keep the barrier strong. So that's where yeah. we get this idea of like, what is going on with children but uh yeah this person is buying groceries for his giant son and this dude who runs this government agency just so that was when it was really interesting i was like oh this giant kid is being hidden in this room by a normal sized parent but he's like four but he's enormous but it's 12 like 12 feet tall but his limbs are starting to like boil and rot in a weird way mm -hmm. and the government agent dude just like shoots him in the head yeah and it's this really graphic death scene of a four-year-old. Yeah, which I, that was where I was like, oh, what the hell are they doing yeah. in this book? Like, no punches pulled. But I really like the art. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, almost almost on the cusp of an artist that I would read everything that they do. Like, almost there. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly just, like, character design that, that holds it back from that. But the story is really interesting. It's, you know, kind of a thinly veiled metaphor for, like, hey, what's wrong with the world? It's men. And yeah. I support that very much, especially right now. I think that's like a, for a book that's everything is done by a man. That right. is, <laughs> that's the part that's a little bit like, okay, you know, maybe get some female voices in there. But I do, you know, it's like he even says at some point, like not to point fingers, but there's no more arguing about what's wrong with the world. It's men. Yeah. And he says that, you know, in this book. So it is, it's kind of like women are the heroes and they're giants and men become these horrible things. And it, it, it seems very baked in the 2019 2020 world that we've been living in and there's nothing wrong with that outside of the fact that it you know you can tell kind of which time it's coming from but i think it's a really important sentiment i think if more people were doing that and telling stories like this and trying to be vulnerable about that especially men obviously um then it we'd be in a better world than we're in right now yeah and, and i like i don't know i just like the idea of this this twist on the giant government agent like that's that's not this isn't the only time we've seen a giant in this situation, but the main protagonist is a giant woman who 
it's just nice. She's nice. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like <clears throat> this person is like the great defender of this walled off portion of society called the barrier. Um, yeah. Or the preserve, rather. And there's a giant barrier around it. And, you know, she's the main police force protecting it because she's enormous. But it is a very, like, interesting slight shift on, like, you know, Japanese kaiju fiction. Yeah. Like Godzilla or things like that. Or, like, Power Rangers, Super Sentai Warriors. Like, these giant beasts and a normal person fighting so it's a really it's it's social commentary mixed with a kind of pre-existing thing that is it is fun so between the art you know the the tone of the storytelling i was pretty stunned yeah i i, I thought it was a book i was just gonna have to get through and mm -hmm. it i actually enjoyed all of it a lot of interesting stuff here and i, and like, I love that yeah. the, the resistance is a bunch of pregnant women yeah there's that's a, cool a crew of people rebelling and it's a bunch of pregnant women who are trying to have babies and not have to be monitored by this governmental i would give it an eight i, I really yeah I, I think i would give it an eight also um and when you read it it goes from being a comic called big girls to a comic being called big girls like the stress is on the girls rather than the big i think you're up next buddy am i with adventureman number three it's either, it's either your solo book or my solo book. So let's do Adventureman. <laughs> All right, Adventureman number three by Matt Fraction and the Dodsons and uh, uh, Clayton Cowles on letters. I think that I said last issue, so the first issue of this series was like 64 pages or something bonkers. Mm -hmm. And I think that I said last issue that it everything shifted and I thought that like that was the turn. And then right. this issue is, I think, another turn. And it's rare for me to get three issues into a comic and just think that it gets better with every single issue, especially when you've got three issues worth of number one. Um, but this, this book is great. Um, she, the, the, the main character is like the nerdy, mousy, mousy in the way that like a porn librarian is mousy until she takes off her glasses and shakes her hair. You know, Whoa. like, like yeah. you can, you, she is not mousy, but she's I've never seen playing porn a or been character. in a library. Okay. Well, but I have um, seen the great mouse detective. Listen, what are you doing next week? I'm going to show you some stuff. <laughs> I want to hang out with you and go to a library and watch some porn. <laughs> um, but she's, she's from this giant family and everybody else is an overachiever and she just owns a bookstore and, and she's hard of hearing, like she's got hearing aids. But in this issue, after she's had this adventure in number two, she is able to hear just fine. She's grown like seven inches between issues. She's uh, having these weird fantasies where there's somebody dying in a hospital and she has a, uh, a flash, maybe a flashback to a story about Adventure Man, or maybe she's hallucinating this thing, but in the story and in real life, uh, Adventure Man, who is her and the character, the pulp character that she likes, um, hooks their own blood up to a dying person and saves them because they have like the the um, omni transfusion blood. Like they can give anybody too. a transfusion. Yeah. And, and just watching her kind of deal with these crazy new powers like she was a, a plucky, cool character from the beginning, but by the time this issue ends, she is also empowered in a lot of ways. Not not the least of which is gaining her hearing or or being tall and and just like she is basically becoming Doc Savage. 
in the modern day. And she's a huge fan of Doc Savage from the pulp books. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that I'm still reading this book um, because it felt a little cute in the first issue. And the second issue felt a little a little confusing, but neither of those were deal breakers. They just, they, they felt like maybe Matt Fraction had come up with a one word description of what he wanted to do with the issue. And uh, I, I really like where it's heading. And I'm astounded that the Dodsons have managed to keep everything going. Django, this is going to sound like a casual compliment, but I make a lot of decisions based on a first issue. And I just fucking love that you give things a third issue. Like, listen, what else that, am I going to do? But that I got to shit every once in a while. Well, yeah, but I mean, that speaks, if you can extrapolate from the metaphor of writing things off after one negative encounter and being willing to give things a three issue breadth, that's a really cool thing. Uh, I appreciate that you do that. I probably wouldn't have made it past Adventure Man 1 if I had even read it. Um, I probably read something else that week. But I, I would give just this issue a seven and a half. If I was grading this issue with the other issues combined, like, like what did this issue do? Um, I would probably give it an eight and a half because it's a really interesting part of this story. I loved it. Like after the first issue, you were like, yeah, by the end of this first issue, you get a cool direction for this story. And then after the second issue, you said, oh, it's different than I, I thought. I was wrong. And here is this. And then the third yeah. issue has a different, and anything that can defy my expectations as to what it is that many times is very interesting to me. I like things that, that are challenging. So yeah, that is very cool. Can I talk to you about Marauders 11? Please do. Django, isn't it interesting how in the like the mainstream Marvel DC comic world that as soon as you get an issue that is advertising the death of a character, it is also simultaneously oftentimes the same issue that reintroduces the character as not being dead. Like, isn't it, oh. isn't it weird how often that happens? Like this is the, this person finally dies, but in the last two pages, they, they it's also how they come back from the dead. Right. Right. In the it's, shadows. It's like... just, it's just comics, you know? And Marauders number 11, we've been dealing with this cliffhanger for the last couple of issues where Kitty Pride, with Kitty Pride, Kate Pride, was murdered by Sebastian Shaw. Um, and then she came of, back as Kitty? I, I don't know. No, not, not so much. <laughs> but um, so the, the world has been dealing with that, but she hasn't been able to come back to Krakoa yet. Mm -hmm. And they haven't been able to revive her because she hasn't been able to come back to Krakoa. They finally got her body and she's dead in this and they try to bring her back and they couldn't bring her back. And they finally are like, oh, wait, I know how to bring her back, like the five of the, the Krakoan, you know, the rejuvenation team. Right. Like, everyone else breaks out of these eggs. Kate's whole like power and, and steez is that she phases out of everything. Like on a neuro, like on a biological level, she doesn't think about needing to go through doors. She doesn't think about right. needing to ex go through something or break something because she phases through everything. So she has had like five bodies that have just rotted in their embryonic tube because it doesn't break out. So oh. Storm realizes that and like reaches in and grabs her out of there. And then she's that's reincarnated. Cool. It is very cool. Wait, is she reincarnated on Krakoa? That's the part that's not so cool, Django. It's because she is on Krakoa now. And okay. like, what is the whole thing about her having, if I want a cooler reason for Kitty Pride having never been able to be on Krakoa. Did she just come out of the egg at the end of that issue? yes okay so we don't know if she can even leave krakoa yeah maybe the gates just don't like on. her yeah exactly so yeah. i i hope that there's a larger thing there hmm. i'll bet that there is i i feel like that's uh jerry dugan yep i would trust that guy to not not bum you out in that way 
Yeah, I think he has. He he does seem to store cool ideas. And there's okay. a really great scene in here where Storm interacts with the woman who's been writing all of these text pages from the head of X desk in the government. And there's a really just cool scene of Storm being a respectful, powerful woman that is, you know, deserving of being in charge. And I really love when you get a, a respectable leader. And I, I respect, like, just Storm was a real badass in this issue. This book has been getting progressively better. I think it was fine at the beginning, and I didn't really understand what its purpose was. But I, I do like the role that is fulfilling of those first six X-Men books. It's probably my third favorite at this point. You know, X-Men number one, X-Force number two, and then probably Marauders. And it was sort of in a, a limbo state for a while. So, uh, you know, it, it's good. I give this issue a 7.5. The art nice. is really nice. These Russell Dowderman covers are like a special thing every time. And I, it's, there's a lot of Kate in it and there's a lot of magic in it who has just become, you know, my top three favorite X-Men characters throughout all this Dawn of X stuff. It's just good. This book is good. If you're interested in the Dawn of X stuff, but you don't want to buy all of them, I would say X-Force, Marauders, and X-Men are the three you'd be doing. Uh, what about your new favorite? Leah Williams? Well, we yeah. got to get, listen, if I'm looking at the work, if we're talking about the work, Hey, I'm on the outside of the work looking in. The work looks good, Leah, but we've only got one issue. So, like, can I say discernedly, you know, this is one of the top three X-Men books right now? Probably, because look at the work, right? Yeah. Look at the work. But yeah. I can't say it yet. Give me three issues and I'll let you know. Um, Jeff. Please. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Are Jungi, you echoing me? Jungi, Jungi. How many Do you see my you... face is reflecting off of this metallic cover? Yeah, and I, okay. Did you give that one a score? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't. I was. I. I wasn't listening. Apparently. I don't listen to each other's scores either. I. I it's, yeah. it's for the listeners. I love it. Yeah. I love giving a score, but I don't really even remember when someone has ever given a score. I don't remember if I've given a score or what that score was. Uh, luckily, we have Andrew Carlson, Fots, friend of the Andrew show. Andrew Fots Carlson, who uh, takes care of that for us. He takes um, care of us. Listen, you're you're talking about Dark Knights. Death Metal, number three, by Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Glapion, and Placencia. Um, I have a question for Dark Knight's Metal. Please. I'll, and, I'll act as Dark Knight's Metal in this context. Okay, okay. Hey, uh, Dark Knight's Metal. What up, bro? Yeah, yeah. You know my coworker, Roman, right? Yeah, yeah. Roman, Roman from the Comics Place, WHK oh, yeah. Cleveland. Love he, metal. Roman has this condition that dissolves the ink on any comic book he touches. And, and you might think this is a joke, Dark Knight's Death Metal 3. Oh, yes, you said it. But uh, it's not a joke. And I'm curious if you've noticed whether or not Roman's acid secretions rub the ink off of your body. Mr. Dark Knight's Metal, number three. The metallic casing on either side of my spine can't be broken down by anything metal. So your friend Roman can hold me as long as he wants, motherfucker. Man, I wish that all comics were like you, Dark Knight's Metal, No, I hear that a lot. I'm not great, but I'm fun to be around. Listen, I heard that there's some cocaine in the bathroom, so why don't you go do that coke and Jeff and I are going to talk about you. I'll be right back, or whatever. Um... This book came out. There's oh, like a silver sweat. It made me sweat too, but I think it's just the heat. <laughs> this has like a, there's a silver surfer Batman in this one. Is there? Oh, the first page. Page one. Weird. Um, 
Dark Knight's Death Metal is still coming out. It's number three, like all the things Django said. The thing I was most excited about is that I I saw on a website the day before this came out, or the day that it came out, like there's a map of the multiverse on it. Or the, no, it was a map of the metaverse. And I was like, oh my God. So the day that it came in, I opened it up. I was like, I got to find this map of the metaverse. And when I opened it up and found it, I realized I had just misread Metalverse. <laughs> and if there's a dis, if there's something that's more disappointing to Jeff than like, we're gonna give you a map of all the meta stuff. I'm like, oh, meta, yeah. meta. <laughs> and this is just the Metalverse. There's just like some metal areas and some. It's just metal. like a Batman-shaped handful of chunks of land. Listen, if location meant anything in this series at all i would care but it clearly fucking doesn't because issue one is like right where you are at this moment right here right now not another world this world and then they're like yeah we got to go back to the other world like there's just this whole thing is like a you know schizophrenic nightmare no no shade on schizophrenics yes with apologies to schizophrenics yeah like because they're (laughs) They're good. It, it yeah. This this comic uh, probably used more red ink than all other comics combined this week. Just doing backgrounds. Yeah. Um, because everything is is super hyper intense. Um, the art there is were, fun. There were some fun bits in it. Yeah. Um, I, I every single bit of fun making that I do of this book is with an amount of respect because it's got to be it's got to be fun and a little bit intimidating to just write something as off the wall and I guess like unfettered. This is like DC universe unchained. Like they See, just, I feel just like, like do anything. Also, I feel like we're going to let it be in continuity. I feel like it's safer than being vulnerable. Like this is like, it's buoyed by this. Oh yeah. But you know, if you don't like it, I was being Coke fueled and just having fun. And this isn't my yeah. real story. You know, like that's, it's, it's, that's it's, fair. It's very like, oh, but if you, I, mean, I don't, I don't actually find it vulnerable. I find it sort of um, more safe than anything because it's hidden behind this veneer of like, yeah, but I was just having, it's called death metal. Um, yeah. What did you expect? Exactly. Uh, that I really being like said, I've enjoyed all three of these issues. This is my least favorite of the three. Uh, it's because of so much Lobo, huh? No, I like the Lobo. It just, I think it was maybe the most connecting stuff. I really liked the scene. Like it's hard to talk about it's hard to talk about what is happening in this book because I don't think that it makes very much sense. No, it really doesn't. It's and like And I think that like there is this illusion that it does make sense and it doesn't. And it you know, like it's the whole conceit is different than the first metal because after metal was created, Scott Snyder wrote Justice League where he created Perpetua and now perpetua is a big part of this and her motivate like it's, it's just it's not on the same scale as the other one but i didn't i think that it makes more sense than the first one but it is still i guess what i would like about this book more is if they weren't giving it the credence that it seems like it's about to restart the dc multiverse like final this, crisis this is, is the real dc bloodbath yeah Final Crisis, they reference Final Crisis in this. It's awesome. At one point, the dark side Batman, because there's a Batman for everything. We get it, Scott. Um, he has the same gun that Batman uses against dark side to kill dark side in Final Crisis. So when they draw that, I was like, oh my God, that's the same gun. And yeah. in the next panel, he says, well, this is the same gun from the last time. And it's like, okay, cool. But I, I, it's just, I think this should just be an Elseworld story that's just for fun but they also seem to be saying, hey, this super over-the-top story that is is kind of making fun of everything, 
is also the thing that's going to be bringing us into the next big phase. As much as death metal has felt like somebody tried to make a human body, but didn't know what tendons were and just skipped the tendons. So you just have like all these parts flopping around and, and there's no I'm connected a sack tissue. Of skin. I'm yeah, a sack I'm, of skin. I'm a sack of skin. I've got bones and organs, but nothing to move sugar. anything. Water. Sugar. Sugar. Water. More sugar. Sugar water. WHK Cleveland. Chicago sugar water. <laughs> Welcome to Papcast, the Chicago Sugar Water. As as dumb and out there and just silly as this is, I don't think that it's any worse than Rebirth, which happened for zero reason at all. Like up until this point, we don't have an answer for what Rebirth was. We've got a lot of conjecture. It was probably Dr. Manhattan, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't have... It, like the DC universe, just, New 52 just ended and rebirth happened. Yeah, and right. so if they're going to bridge a gap with this absolute nonsense that I'm having a whole lot of fun with, like this is, this is a funnel cake. This is not dinner. This is a funnel cake. And it's the reason that we're going to get to whatever happens next. And that's okay. You're right. You're right. Django, you're right. Yes. And... I, I think, and I, I haven't formulated the conversation yet. I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to try and I'm just going to workshop a little bit of it. I think that sometimes restraint works well. Um, I think that sometimes respecting boundaries works well. Mm-hmm. Kind of in the way that you've talked about liking restraint in regards, like maybe talking to customers, figuring certain things out, but like, and I think and creativity, that, I think it's important. Yeah, exactly. And it, yes, that's my point. I think that a lot of times up until the last several years, people, when they do big DC, even Final Crisis, it is this crazy story that exists within the bounds that DC created years and years before it, right? Right. Like, and here, I like it and it's fun. I don't think it's respecting the old stuff. And I don't no. know, like, does it need to? Maybe it doesn't need to. I don't know. It'd be like... The, I, I'm not the guy that says what things should or shouldn't be, but I do think that like, it is, it is a little like, it's a little egocentric. It's very like, look at how much fun I'm having with all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you're not playing in this shared sandbox. You're asking everyone to come to your sandbox. Yeah. And, and that's fine, you know, but you you just, you, it's fine if you go to that sandbox. Yeah. And, and, I think a lot of people really like seeing what other people play with in this shared sandbox. And I think that like Scott Snyder has just progressively gotten less and less into playing in that sandbox and everything he does is more and more removed from it and kind of breaks the pre-established rules and says, Hey, look at my rules. And that's fine. Yeah. I think it's a fun, good book, but I, I do, I like the old rules. I, I read DC comics for, this like the boundaries of a dc comic and i also like pushing boundaries but i you know i, I like seeing you push jack kirby's things but right here it's right. just like no i created a new fourth wall i need created a new perpetua all of your stuff is fine but it's small compared to this new giant thing i created yeah it just, it, i think it's a little disrespectful to the and and whatever fuck fuck respect create art 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 first but um i wish it was a little bit more beholden to dc continuity it's you know uh marvel and dc in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, 
and I don't know if it goes back farther than this because I wasn't quite as into the the creation and the meta part of comics as I am now. Uh, like like for better or worse, I'm kind of steeped in it and forced to be a part of it. But um, for the last ten years or so, there have been architects of the universes, and you know, like Hickman was kind of in charge of this is this is sort of the direction of these group big groups of characters, and Bendis was uh, one of the Marvel architects and. Yep. Uh, DC had Jeff Johns sort of shepherding the DC universe through whatever was going on briefly. And I feel like somebody told Scott Snyder that that's what he was going to be. And he was like, no, nah, I'm just going to write this thing and everybody else has to, to follow me. Like it's, they've given him the power of a universal architect, but they haven't given him the responsibility of the universal architect this is what we get, which is a completely bonkers, totally fun. Like it's, it's hard to say that this is a bad comic. Um, no, but I don't it just think doesn't that, fit. I don't think in 15 years people will talk about it because it doesn't right. fit. It doesn't fit. Say, remember when they brought that mullet back for Superman? I want to know what you give it. And then I want to give a score to Dark Knight's Death Metal 3 himself. I'll bet that he's done all the coke in the bathroom that you left there. He's yeah. He's just running around the house right now. He's trying to pet one of my cats. I give it a seven. Okay. Like I, I don't think it's bad. I enjoyed reading it. I just, I'm sort of, I want to like look at all of the people in charge and be like, guys, girls, really? Well, call call that Roman resistant chump in here. I want to. Motherfucker! Oh, there just you sort are. Of sail on in here like a boat, like a boat, like a boat. You got any more of that? Hey, buddy. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I would give you a. I, I don't want to say what I would give you. Because you know I'll come fucking kick your ass. Yeah, you, 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 you will absolutely try. I'm going to give you a seven and a half. Um, what, do, what do you give you? What do I give me? I don't know. 10. I'm doing all this coke because I feel like a two. I'm like <laughs> a two, but I do all this coke and I feel like a ten. What's the difference between two and ten? It's like six. It's like five. I'm like a five point five, motherfucker. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that. Hey, listen, after we're done recording, can you do some bumpers for our radio show here on WHK Cleveland? Chicago! <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. All right, I just want to talk briefly about Octobriana 1976 by Jim Rugg, one of the cartoonist kayfabe guys. This is a book that may or may not come out to comic stores. Um, I think they'll probably do some sort of distribution for it through Diamond, with, with which we'll be able to buy it. But I, this is just one that I independently kickstarted because I really love those guys, listen to their podcast, and... And if you don't, you should. Exactly. Not you, everyone, Jeff, but the people who are listen to the WHK if you, listeners. If you're listening to WRHK Chicago, you are going to love Cartoonist Kayfabe because they know more about the act of making comics than we do. So if you listen to this, listen to that. Uh, I really like those guys. Ed Pisker gets a lot of celebration. I, I do that thing where I sympathize with the person who maybe has a little less of the spotlight. So Jim Coward. Rugg. So I love Jim Rugg. He did this thing. He wanted to create the world's first blacklight comic. And he also, he also had like, so the thing that's confusing about what this thing is, this Octobriana thing is, is that he stumbled upon this, upon this character called Octobriana that apparently was like a fictional character that existed in Russia during like the communist occupation of Russia. And there was this like group of like, artistic intelligent people who would meet and because sexual repression was so prevalent within Russia at the time they would have these like they would all read poetry and all this stuff and they would have a big orgy and it was like this sort of big artistic sexual um, 
release valve. And this character, Octobriana, was sort of the main character in these stories that they would create. And in Russia at that time, if anyone had found out that they were making these things that was subverting, you know, the communist will, they would be sentenced to death, put in prison. It was a huge act of revolution to be doing this. But then I think what he learned is that this character, Octobriana, all of that fiction, all of that history I just talked about was a fiction for somebody in the 80s or 90s that made this character. And so Jim Rugg had this thing where he thought this real thing had happened. And then it turned out it had not happened. It was something that was coming out when he was coming into comics. And he's been been trying to retrace the Mm -hmm. origin of this character. And like, there was a, there's an image of her in heavy metal at some point. And like, Mm -hmm. she is cropped up at different times, but he can't trace it down. But the person who had done the most research about her has passed away. So he can't find the answers of what this is. This real, is it fake? It seems more than anything like it's fake, but the idea of these groups within Russia that have these artistic orgies and all this stuff seems very true. So it's a real weird push and pull of what is real, what's not real. I love the idea of that. Okay. And are we sure that he didn't create it and pretend that the previous Octobriana existed? Cartoonist Kayfabe, talking about Kayfabe, he said at one point that he talked to somebody else who did find images of her in heavy metal. So like he maybe said, he's lying. Yeah, maybe he's not. I, but again, I love that. And clearly you love that as well. Like, make uh, yeah. me confused about what's real and not real. It, especially in the world of the internet where theoretically you can search up anything. Um, if you can muddy the waters, respect. This came in the mail yesterday and the back is all text. It's all nice. text pieces. And I do believe that the answers that we are seeking are on the back of this comic. But... What is most interesting above all of that is that before quarantine and pandemic time, uh, Jim Rugg had done this comic and wanted to release it, but then everything fell apart and comic shops weren't making comics and DC or uh, Diamond Comics wasn't distributing them. So he had to independently pursue releasing it through Kickstarter. And, you know, I was like, well, fuck yeah. It is an all black light comic. He also released a black and white version of it and just like a regular color version of it. But this is an all black light comic. So it's all cool you know, neon blues, neon pinks, neon purples, and neon yellows, and neon greens. It's, it's amazing. It's not like any paper stock. I just want, I, you know, I'm going to bring it for you to feel Django. The paper yeah. stock is unlike anything. Smells unlike any comic. It smells more like opening a pack of trading cards. Oh, I love that kind of paper. Yeah. Is it um, glossy? And it's got like spot gloss where the different colors are. Spot gloss on the, on the, and on the inside not like intentional but just that like there'll be like a flat pink and then like the black is printed in a way that like if you turn it to the light it's glossy there but not but it's not like the spot gloss on the cover of x-men or sorry fantastic four grand design where the invisible woman is spot gloss jim rug just does stuff that is a little bit like he wants to do this a little off the cuff and that's what this is it's really cool I will keep people updated if it shows up in Diamond. I'll let everyone know if this shows up in previews that we can order it so people can place pre-orders for it. Outside of that, you could pursue Jim Rugg's Kickstarter. You might still be able to order them. It's really, really cool. It's just, um, it's pushing the, the medium of comics in a way that I've never seen before. I really, really liked it. Um, it the story itself is just a, this sort of one surface level, crazy, naked, Russian like revolutionary with a giant unibrow taking down communist cyborgs and it's awesome, awesome. um but it sounds know, like uh revenger yeah it's it's very good i'd give it you know an 8.5 because i think it's just so interesting in terms of what it is just hearing you talk about it 
I would give it a 10.0 on execution. Dude, it is that. Like the story itself is is one dimensional, but in terms of the execution of what they've done, it's it is astounding. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was just like, Django is gonna love this. Well, Jeff, I think we just reached the end of the comic book review portion of our show. Uh, do you, you do you do you want to review uh, other people's podcasts or should we answer some listener questions? I think that we should answer some listener questions, but okay. I'm not going to look at them. I'm going to let you read them because I prefer when you do that. Okay, we got so, some hey, questions. We got some we listener got some questions. questions. Let's just let the hair down. You know what? You know what? I'm just going to sit on this couch. I'm going to untie the kimono bathrobe. I'm going to spread the legs. And oh I'm just God! Put on some cartoons. All right. Well, the first cartoon is by Paul Baronic. Paul Baronic says. I've recently been on a huge dive into pre-crisis DC books because of New Teen Titans and Batman and the Outsiders. I was wondering if you guys have any favorite runs from that era, goofy or not. And thank you for keeping comics alive and available in Bellingham. I feel like maybe he asked that question or a very similar question on, on an episode podcast. that we had to end up cutting the questions. It was a two and a half hour podcast. And the only thing that made sense was to cut the questions. And I hated doing it, but I did. So yes, let's answer that. Okay, Paul before Byron. we answer that, I got to yeah. tell Paul that... You need to talk to Paul because you talk about Paul, but you don't talk to Paul. Well, listen, I deliver to Paul... That's one of my point. Like, we almost hear every Paul's Friday. Name. Yeah. And uh, I put it in his mailbox. I'm really curious about his driveway, but I'm going to respect that boundary and just yep. keep putting comics in his mailbox. Yep. I heard from... I, like, I heard a rumor that his driveway is almost two miles long. I heard that Maybe two and a half miles. What I wanted Silver to tell Age. Paul yeah. is that... Um, weirdly, we just bought a collection of new teen Titans and Batman and the outsiders books like three weeks ago. So if he wants to read more of those stories, which I haven't read, we have like two long boxes of those specific pre-crisis series. So my problem is that I have a hard time remembering the boundaries between like silver age, golden age, modern age. And even like, because I'm, I'm a, I'm 30, so I'm coming to a lot of this stuff. All of that just exists as this giant pool of past continuity in my head. There was no older versions of these two books. Well, I'm sorry, just even thinking about like what comics represent that time. Mm -hmm. But I do remember when we did answer this before and then had to cut it out, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, the Alan Moore Superman Mm -hmm. story, happened right before that crisis. Um, And that is amazing. The Alan Moore Swamp Thing stuff, I believe Roman had confirmed was right before that. And that is very good. Those are not goofy in that like really classic comic way. That's as they were transitioning towards being, I mean, it's Alan Moore. So it's transitioning towards Silver Age, goofy storytelling, trying to be more serious and adult. So I think that's, those are two really good ones. I, I haven't read them. But just based on the enthusiasm of people who I respect, I think that the if if you can unlock the secret of liking Legion of Superheroes from that era, I think that it's super rewarding. Um, yeah. I, full disclosure, I don't care about those comics. But the people who read them when they were coming out and who liked them at the time seem to be huge fans of it. And that's like Roman and James and you know some of our other friends who still uh, uh steve is just they, they, the international pre-crisis uh no but I it think has if, that same feeling if if you are liking that era of comics and you are trying to maybe find that tone in a more modern series the keith giffen 
uh, and James Dematius, just the international series, mm-hmm. which is being collected in like ultimate paperbacks right now. There's a hardcover omnibus. Django has all the issues. I think the shop has all the issues now too. That's They're one. Great. I, I have the giant version of it. And just want to read one day uh, when I get some time, because if everything I see in it seems like it's so much fun. Everyone that I know that has read it, that I respect loves it. And it seems just like it's, you know, it's comics done in that way that it seems like you're talking about. So I would, I would really pursue that one. Dylan MF and Becker. Oh, Delano Becker. Love it. So did DC and diamond split or not? Does this mean DC books on Tuesdays? Dylan DC and diamond did split. We are not able to do DC books on Tuesdays. DC advertises that, but logistically it doesn't make sense for us. Also our our box shows up on Tuesday. Our DC books have showed up on Tuesday afternoon more often than they've showed up on the Friday that they're supposed to show up. I, I, sorry to steamroll you, Django, but as the guy who's had to wait at home or Sam, my awesome girlfriend, waiting at home with a check <laughs> to give FedEx and every day just wait because they're like, we're going to be there Friday. Oh, nope, we're going to be there Saturday. Oh, nope, Monday. Oh, nope, Tuesday. Like You can't spend every day waiting for FedEx. So it would be cool to be able to sell new DC books on Tuesday. If they if they reliably get them to us on Fridays for long enough, we might maybe, maybe one day think about it. But it's just, I, I don't think Django or I thinks that that whole system is really going to hold up for a long time. Yeah. I, I think that I don't think that the current system is, is going to last. And also Dylan, we don't deliver comics on Tuesdays. So you can buy them on Tuesday. We'll deliver them on Wednesday happily. And something that a lot of our readers and and fans and customers don't understand is just how much work goes into checking those comics in, pulling them for subscribers, getting them ready. Like that, that's a huge project. And to split it over two days means that Jeff and I have an extra day of really kind of overly intense work that, that, that is... If you've, if, if you've ever walked into the comic store and thought Django or Jeff looks broken. It's probably Tuesday. That was probably on a Tuesday. And adding another Tuesdays, adding another Tuesday on a Monday so we can release DC Comics on Tuesday would, uh, that'd be rough. Hey, Django. Yes. Dylan's just asking, all right? Can you apologize to Dylan? You brought a lot of, Dylan, you brought a lot of fire sauce to that uh, cheesy crunch wrap. I didn't mean to spit hot fire sauce on your sexy, cheesy crunch wrap, but yeah. I did. And, uh, you know, I guess that's what happens when that's where I'm we are. Passionate. We just have a lot of pent up, uh, sort of frustration with DC right now, but we also love DC maybe more than anything. So it's very fine. complex feelings. Yeah. What's our next question. Next question is from Kisden Rowe. Love it. He brings the hammer down. Would it be ethical? And I hope that Kisden isn't asking this question. Like last time he asked us about uh, Warren Ellis. That was the day that had to get cut, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and we cut it. This time he's asking, would it be ethical for Galactus to eat the other planets in our solar system? Would we have the right to stop him? Would we have the right to stop him? Kisden, would it- it's our goddamn solar system. Well, and bud. he oh, can bud. eat those planets over my dead goddamn body. Roll Tide. Okay, so you're saying you would not let him eat our planets? Well, I, I don't think I could stop him from that. You but just I would said expect, Roll Tide, so I will get behind you. I would expect, uh, you know, Mr. Fantastic to stop him. 
because who else can we expect to stop them? The X Men don't really generally seem to care that much about Galactus. They just so you oh, would still hey, just uh, call my buddy Mister Fantastic so he can so talk you, to you. You would still just wake up, see the situation, and say. I think I'm going to get a chicken Wonder Burrito today instead of a pork Wonder Burrito today. Yeah. Because yeah. probably somebody else will be dealing with it. Yeah. 100%. I did the philosophy. I did the philosophy. I'm with Django 100% roll tide. Roll tide. Uh, Zach Strong, is there a writer that you will blindly purchase any book they create? Okay, At Django. Point, let's flip it. Let's flip it. Okay. I'll say yours and you say mine. For you... I mean, I would, there's two writers. Yeah. It's either Mark Russell or Tom Taylor. Yes. And so I, I would, would, I would. Okay. If, if I had to pick one, it would be, I think if you could had, if you could either only read Mark Russell books or Tom Taylor books, you would pick Mark Russell. hundred percent. Okay. Jane, um, what do you got for me? Well, I would say that writer wise, although you're a huge Bendis fan and you really like Tom Taylor mm-hmm. and uh, you have read, I mean, pretty much anything that uh, Leah Williams, there's Leah Williams, there's Kate Leth, there's, there, there's a lot of creators that you're a huge fan of, but I think that Hickman is the one that you will follow through the hell of Mordor. Yeah, to read that actually, comic. so I was thinking he's either going to say Grant Morrison or Jonathan Hickman, it's Hickman, but I think that I am more willing to just not read Grant Morrison books than I am Hickman books. Cause I'm just more at peace to just like, yeah, H- Morrison puts out stuff that sometimes I just don't care about. And Hickman yeah. hasn't done that yet. So like, you know, is there a C Morrison guy, book you haven't read though? Sea guy. Really? Uh, yeah. I read sea guy. I mean, there's three volumes. I read it for you. Um, yeah, no. Uh, uh, yeah. I, th- I, I would say you'll, you'll follow Hickman anywhere. Yeah. I, I will read every issue of anything mm. Hickman puts out where I, I will put a Morrison book to bed. Um, but I'll probably read all the number ones. Nathan Butcher wants to know best or favorite ending of an ongoing series. Best or favorite ending of an ongoing series. I got two. Please. Hitman, which made me cry probably within a few weeks of uh, Preacher doing the ending and, and giving me feelings and Transmet ending and giving me feelings. Um, and the boys i have a really hard time answering this question because i don't i can't recall i can't finishing an ongoing series <laughs> there's that <laughs> um no but like i don't want to give a disingenuous answer so like I, my favorite runs like hickman's fantastic four run unfortunately because of production that one kind of petered out um, it sort of ended in secret wars yeah yeah i mean then avengers and then secret wars but um you know my favorite ending i do like the end of all-star superman a lot that that's a, a limited of, series though he said ongoing he said ongoing Holy which i think shit. is a really interesting limitation yeah, there that is because like even like bendis's daredevil it kind of goes into brubaker's um mm-hmm. new x-men i really like what new yeah. x-men did with morrison because it's just like this sort of like six issue coda way in the future but it presents a bunch of information that then causes you to reclassify everything that you read before it. So, so that one has a really great ending. That's a, that's a, that's a really good answer. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good one. Um, But I, I, I also, you know, I feel like I, I know in my heart what my favorite is and I just can't place it right now. For me, it's Hitman just has like the perfect, the perfect ending and they've done a couple of codas, but uh, the way that it ends, it's hard to use a lot of the characters. Um, Transmetropolitan was one of the very first comics that gave me like uh, a body feeling 
when I got to the last issue and I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, God. Um, and uh, the boys actually kept me reading comics. So I've got to get mad props for that. So like does scalped count because it's a 60 issue series. I guess that was an yeah. ongoing series for five years. Did you like the ending of it? I don't remember it, but I think that I did. Yeah. Uh, I but didn't I, that's a good love thing. the ending of that. What's our next question? Will Elmer wants to know which image series would you like most to be seen made into a show for on HBO? I mean, I think that I think the Jupiter's Legacy thing is a really good. Oh, that's a good one. And I think Magic Order, and I think both of those are Mark Miller books, and maybe mm. they're both written with television series in mind, which is Magic why they're Order's so supposed good to come out on Netflix. Right? Yeah, both of them. Like he's yeah. just all of his stuff goes through Netflix now. And... I'm going to say Chew. I want to see yeah. Chew adapted in live action. I think that would be super weird and cool. That's a um, question. Sex Criminals would be really, really good. Nate McGarry Myers says, what are the chances of shopping inside the store? And I think uh, one word does it eventually. Yeah, I was going to say 100% at some point. Yeah, and, and we are closed now in order to definitely open later. So uh, patience, Padawan. Aaron Bryce Seaton, why is death oh. the high cost of living? Soren Morky wants to know, does Morbius get less nourishment from villains than he would heroes or innocent humans slash civilians? All right, Jeff, I wish Roman was here. Yeah, I mean, it's a Neil Gaiman series, Death, the High Cost of Living, but um, this question again? Does Morbius get less nourishment from villains than he would heroes or innocent humans slash civilians? Plasma. Felicia. What do you know about Morbius and F Felicia? Apparently? All of my information goes through Spider-Man, the animated series, which is what I was just referencing there. And if okay. Justin were here, he would have also said the word vindicated Felicia. Vindicated you. Yeah. Um, and I, even, I don't even know in the comic if they refer to it as like blood or plasma or energy or what, but he feeds off plasma in the animated series. So for me, it comes down to the moral question of like, you know, is there more inherent vitriol oomph gusto and a good guy versus a bad guy life energy and i would say hell yeah there is you know who's gonna get me rock hard captain america or the junkie who is you know across the street right now just hanging out captain america's pecs are gonna do more is that part of his uh is that part of his powers like does he does he get things from the person that he sucks blood from or is it is it just like like I'm just uh, talking about cheese like is cheese energy. is cheese is cheese. Like, I was just thinking cheese is cheese. You know, when I when I get hungry, I just need cheese. But I'm just working off again the, the Spider-Man the animated series uh, from the '90s. So we have one more question, Jeff. Get it? It's from Ryan Russell. Yeah, I was gonna put some word in the middle there, but I didn't because it would just it just would have been motherfucking or MF, and and that felt he lazy. Is awesome. You're right. Uh, podcast question. 2020 has been crazy, and boy, have comics helped us get through everything. What is everyone's favorite series so far this year? And by everyone, he means you and he means me. What is everyone's favorite series so far this year? Listen, Ryan, Jonathan Hickman hasn't done enough for Jeff to just jump on that super quick. Well, I mean, kind, I mean the question was the X-Men stuff. And it's really slowed down since the pandemic. Um, I think I think I don't want to I don't want to step on Ryan's question here, but I think we have to say pandemic or a thing that you've read during the pandemic. Okay. Well, not not to 
micromanage Ryan's concept here. Listen, uh, you know, I think that's a great with a little bit of restriction, we're going to get a better answer out of it. Cause I could have said Hickman's X-Men and everyone could have predicted that from a mile away. <sighs> so what I will say. I take from Jeffrey Figley on WHK Cleveland, Chicago radio. I would say, I think the thing, and this is, you know, it might be biased by what's going on recently, but I am going to say my knee jerk response is Robert Kirkman's firepower. Oh wow! I, I, I mean, you heard me two different days you in the store. Pervert. I was walking around saying, like, I am just so excited to read Firepower <laughs> issue number two. Like, and and don't tell Leah Williams. I know. Well, just like listen, you look at the body of work. All right, like X Factor out of the park. But um, no. I mean, like with that, I, I'm literally getting away from the X Men stuff. So I, that 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 whole stuff I'm not really even considering, but in terms of a thing that just for whatever reason is like, whatever, it's like the opposite frequency of my brain. So that when it plays, it just like, it's like or a numbing agent. And it just puts me in a numb space in the way that like invincible did. You're reading a comic book when you're doing that. Ryan, it's really hard for me to answer that question because there, there are a number of things that I've discovered in 2020 or read for the first time in 2020 that I've enjoyed during the pandemic. I think that the thing that I've enjoyed the most during this whole thing has been East of West, which oh. is not a new series, but, um, but you know, I, 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 the day that we locked not the to, front not door to micromanage the Jago, not to, I don't want to micromanage. Yeah, go, I don't go want ahead. To micromanage, yeah, but yeah, didn't yeah, you yeah, say yeah, within yeah, the yeah, pandemic? Yeah. Well, it's things that I've read during the okay, pandemic. Okay. So right? not new. Th- okay. Okay. I, I was qualifying by things that have come out during pandemic. Well, and if we were going to qualify with that, like, I don't even know. Because if we were not going to qualify with that, also East or West, because that has been yeah. such a rewarding experience. Like, I loved Pulp. I think that Pulp was one of the best comics that I've read, like the, the best single comics. He asked for a series, so that doesn't really count. But I think that Pulp was an amazing graphic novel that that did things that I didn't expect over and over and over. And just just the story wasn't over every time I thought it was. It's going to sound like a shameless plug, but I do actually think that the most rewarding experiences that I've had, like for some reason, the new world reading it again in the last week and a half was very rewarding. Day Tripper was really, really rewarding. East of West has been remarkably rewarding reading through Gideon Falls. So the book club, like we have pretty much every book that we've done in that has caused me to either read for the first time or read a new thing. All of that has been really, really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. And sort of capstone by the East of West thing. But I think it's been a great time to kind of go back and and read some older stuff. And that's going to, you know, I haven't read that many older long form books. Listen, Um, I got to deal with a situation that's related to the shit situation that's in my basement right now. Um, Do you have to go poop? My time's running short is what I'm saying. Hey, listen, we got to get out of here. Um, this has been a great episode of the Perfectly Accessible Podcast, if I do say so myself. Thank you for listening. Django, thank you for being a part of it. You're cute, if not covered in poos and bee stings. You know, that's that's my day. Uh, Sunday, you know, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Leave a review. 
send us a question, uh, not through Facebook, do it through the email, uh, which is info at the Send it just, you know, podcast question. We love it. Andrew had one last week. Yeah. We got, uh, it's very, very good. Django, I need you to go take care of whatever you need to take care of. So I am Jeff and we will see you all for 190 next week. I'm Django, and I can't believe that I've managed to keep a bit going for the whole episode. We're really glad that you tuned in to WHK Cleveland. 